1: Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films. I'm Alan Jackson, and with me, as always, Chris Fry. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah. I may sound a little weird, Chris. I don't know if you've picked up on that or not. I've, I sound a little distant. Is that uh? <laughs> is that going to be a problem? I'm I'm no. uh, skyping from halfway across the country at the moment, and uh, even though we're not able to see each other, hopefully, you know, we can still make a very invigorating, exciting podcast for everybody to listen to. Uh, so I guess, it's, uh,
2: I guess it's very futuristic of us, kind of like one of the movies we'll be discussing. To be yeah, uh,
1: so. yeah, we're kind of stepping into the future of technology here. So uh, <laughs> uh, not to say Skyping is actually the cutting edge here. and We'll see if it holds out for us, but uh, hopefully the hotel room Wi-Fi is going to be cooperative with us for the next uh, half hour or so. Before I forget, though, Chris, and before we get into our, our review, uh, I do want to say a special thanks to our sponsor this month, and that sponsor is Main Cellar City Club located in Hickory, North Carolina, downtown Hickory. Uh, Again, a great facility. They've been a sponsor of ours for a little while now uh, here at The Mesh. We're really glad to have them on board. And uh, just a great facility for entertainment, uh, for hosting events. They have great performances and bands coming into play. We've actually been there uh, recording some great acts coming in. Uh, They've had a little bit of a 80s throwback a few nights with uh, Winger and then Brett Michaels coming in for a concert. Uh, They've got the Little River Band coming up soon and Bad Company. So a lot of great bands, some bands that maybe you've heard of in the past that are coming back around, playing a nice, intimate venue. It's just a great location, a great place. You'll hear a little bit more about them later on in the show. But special thanks to Main Cellar City Club for your support this month. Uh, Today, we've got two main reviews set up to talk about. We're going to discuss the film Beasts of the Southern Wild in a little bit. That was our featured foot candle film of the month for our film society. But we're also going to talk about first, we're going to discuss the film Looper.
0: In the future, time travel is outlawed, used only in secret by the largest criminal organizations. When they need someone gone. And they want to erase any trace of the target ever existing. They use specialized assassins, like me, called loopers. You're a looper. You know what we do? And the only rule is, never let your target escape, even if your target is you.
1: Looper is a film starring Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And what the basic premise of the film is, is in the future, uh, to get rid of people. When you've got mobsters who want to, to get rid of someone, they're actually able to transport them back in the past because a uh, time machine has been, invented, has been invented in the future. It has not been invented in the past. But what happens is when these people come beaming back into the past – They have already arranged with people in the past called loopers, these individuals that are basically assassins. Their job is to knock off the people as soon as they appear in the past. So that way there's no trace of a body in the future. Everything is gone and it's nice and clean, supposedly. The problem is in this plot is things get a little mixed up when uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays a young version of Joe, and it turns out that someone who gets teleported back to the past that he is supposed to knock off happens to be his older self. So that sets up the whole problem. And from there, it gets a lot more complicated and interesting than the little bit I just set it up with. Uh, but we've got a real sci fi film from Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson's a director of uh, a couple other films we've discussed here on this show, mainly The Brothers Bloom in his original film. Uh, his uh, first directoral uh, film was the film Brick, which I know, Chris, you and I are both big fans of. Without a doubt. Yeah, and The Brothers Bloom was actually one of our foot candle films uh, about a year or two ago. So here we are with Looper. This is probably his biggest budget film, has some of his biggest stars in it. And, Chris, here's, here's my question sure. Imagine it is the year 2075, okay. okay? And there are really old versions of, let's say, our kids. <laughs> and they have uh, kept this podcast going for many, many years. Okay. And they're digging back through the archives, listening to all these old episodes. Because time travels probably in be in, has been invented in the future, are our kids going to come back to the past and stop us from record, reviewing this film because <laughs> we absolutely hated it, or are they going to replay our film, our podcast in the future because we love this film so much and we want to talk about it as much as humanly possible. What do you say?
2: Hmm. Well, uh, I think I think they will replay our podcast and have us talk about it because I think this film is going to just grow on people, and I think it's gotten a pretty positive response so far. But I think as the film continues to age, I think it's going to age well, and I think uh, I think they'll I think they'll be proud of their old their old parents.
1: <laughs> now, when you say it's going to age well, what what makes you say that?
2: Well, um. In the film, they have the ideas of time travel, but it's very, they don't really go into a lot of explanation, and they just kind of, you accept a lot of things. And they don't really display a lot of technology that will age poorly. Say like, for example, in some of the early Star Wars movies, now when we look at some of their computers, or some of the early Star Trek movies, their computers kind of look goofy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they kept away, this movie is a science fiction movie, like you uh, talked about, but it It's more about characters and more Mm -hmm. about themes as opposed to really being flashy and like, oh, look at all these cool effects we can do. It's not a Matrix movie. It's not a Terminator movie, you know, even though it does Terminators have people go back and try to solve problems. You know, it's it's not that type of movie.
1: Um, Well, I I, I agree with you. I think it does downplay the technology side of what we're seeing. Uh, You're right. The whole concept of time travel is never really explained. Uh, I think we get one one very short set piece where we see at least the apparatus the future used for time travel and even that is very nondescript and not very technical in nature Um, so for it being a sci-fi movie you're right there's very little technology and things that would date it uh, to to much of a degree Uh, which i liked i I like the more realistic view of science fiction as opposed to trying to go all flashy and cgi on this um, I thought that worked pretty well. But what about the story, Chris? I mean, time travel is such a tricky, tricky thing to get your head around in a film. It is. You can either get it so convoluted where it's just maddening to watch, or you can make it almost so overly simple that it's so easy to pick holes in it. Which uh where do you come down on this one?
2: Well, I, I liked how they handled time travel because they didn't they kind of kept it very simple and it wasn't like a um, 12 Monkeys type thing where you're trying to say, wait a second, how can that happen? If this happened, you didn't have to spend the movie confused about all the in and out points and trying to form a timeline. Or for example, Lost, The TV, it was a TV show, but people all the time were trying to dissect, wait a second, how could A happen if B happened before A? You know, you, you didn't get lost in that, or at least I didn't. And I found that I found that refreshing, actually.
1: So it's possible to watch this movie without trying to dissect it? Are you telling me?
2: I think so. Yeah. Oh,
1: I mean, all if right. you and we're going you... dis- to disagree on that one point, but we'll come back to that in a little bit
2: here. So well, it's, and it's hard also to say, um, without, of course, you know, we don't want to ruin the ending, but I think the way this movie ended is the only way it could end. Um, hmm. and not to say that I don't, uh, yeah, not to say that maybe I don't have a little bit of problems, but you know, um, with it, but I think when I all shook out, I think it's the only way it really can end. So,
1: okay. All right. Well, let's, we'll come back to the ending in a minute. Cause I do, we may have to do our spoiler edition at the end of the show okay. uh, to talk about that for a few more minutes. Cause it is hard to talk about the plot too much in depth without talking about uh, spoilers on the film in general. Right. Um, I'll tell you, I did enjoy this film. Uh, I was maybe 5% let down, uh, <laughs> just, just because my expectations were incredibly high, but for the most part, it met the expectations.
2: Okay.
1: Um, Time travel is a tough, tough film for me in general to to deal with. Uh, If it's more complicated than Back to the Future, I have a really tough time enjoying a good time travel movie because I'm constantly trying to understand how it would work. Because even in this film, there's parts if you really sat down and thought about it, the whole film starts to unravel Hmm. quite a bit. Because what they're trying to do by – having somebody from the future come back to the past to fix something. So it never happens in the future. Basically they're wiping out their whole cycle of being in in a way. It's those types of things I think about a little too much. And I probably don't enjoy the film as much as I should. That being said, it being a time travel movie and it being somewhat complex and some very interesting character development, I really did enjoy most all aspects of this film. Um, I thought the acting was really, really good Um, Bruce Willis, I'm guilty of thinking of him as somebody that kind of sleepwalks through a lot of his roles these days. (laughs) And uh, even though he was not the most dynamic character in the film, I thought he played the part he was supposed to play really well. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt continues to be, I think, an outstanding actor. And I I just am amazed sometimes I I was forgetting it was him sometimes, partially because of the uh, prosthetics and the makeup he wore to look more like a young Bruce Willis. But other times he's just he played a really good part. I forgot this is the same guy we just saw a few months ago in Dark Knight Rises and, and several other films in the last few years.
2: Yeah, he's, uh, he's having a good year. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Uh, Emily Blunt, I thought, also played really well against her normal type. Uh, I don't know if it was the fact that she covered up her accent so well or what, but she just played a really good, strong female character. Um, Overall, I was I was really impressed with the acting. Jeff Daniels, always liked Jeff Daniels in a film, and he, he had a really nice juicy role where he got to have a few memorable scenes, uh, discussion scenes, very, very simple scenes in an office, but they were very impactful, I
2: thought. Um, I, yeah, I I follow very similar lines with the acting. Um, I thought all the people were really strong, where you kind of fall, I think, sounds like maybe you're the 5% that you didn't like about the film being the, the time travel aspect or maybe the explanation of it. I think it was
1: more the explanation of it. I, I I was trying to process it way too much and (sighs) towards the end, I agree. The ending did end the only way it could have reasonably be done. However, if you really think through the plot of the movie, you realize it was kind of an unnecessary ending and maybe I'll explain that in the spoiler edition, but, um, yeah, I we'll need to wait and discuss that later.
2: <laughs> I the, curiously enough for me, I really liked the movie and there were only two aspects that um I I didn't like. Okay. And it's going to be kind of a bizarre aspect to mention because I don't think we've ever come down on this before, but I it really bothered me that they changed Joseph Gordon-Levitt's face as much as they did with prosthetics. Just it so that he you? would look like Bruce Willis. Yes, it bothered me tremendously. Um, now, why is that? Because I thought it was unnecessary. I mean, how many times mm-hmm. have we seen characters in movies where they play different versions of somebody? And it's like, yeah, you know it's a different actor. And, you know, so what? And it doesn't it doesn't bother me. You know, you see Scrooge as a young kid. You see Scrooge as an adult. And it's like, yeah, those are different actors. But, it, you know, that doesn't take away from it because you just kind of expect it. But the fact yeah, that – Chris.
1: Well, but Chris, think about it, though. I mean, in most of those other films, you don't always have the young and the old version sitting across the table from each other. And so we're a little more forgiving because we're told, okay, this is this person young in the past and we just accept it. This is a movie where one of the most critical scenes is you've got the two characters sitting across the table from each other for a good 10, 15 minute scene almost. It seems like. And the the whole fact is they're looking at each other, trying to find those similarities as well. I think if you had those two characters not looking more alike, that whole scene wouldn't have worked.
2: Maybe, but I guess because I go into it for me, I go into it and I I know it's a movie. And so I'm not expecting to see. Actually, it really threw me back because I was not expecting to see a. To me, it was. He looked computer generated. I mean, I read later online that it was prosthetics and like makeup that made Joseph Gordon look that way and supposedly not computer animated or, you know, computer digitization of his face, but it was so distracting for me because Hmm. I knew that it was Joseph Gordon Levitt acting, but yet to me, at least it looked nothing like him, which I guess is pretty amazing considering the makeup, but it was so distracting the entire movie. And I don't know why I think because I really like him as an actor and I wanted to actually see his face and not see this like weirdo cat looking thing that, but Mm granted, I, it did achieve the result of I could see how they were trying to like square his jaw off and make him look like Bruce Willis. But yet, you know, obviously it still doesn't look like Bruce Willis. So for me, I would have just rather them had, you know, had them be them themselves. And granted, yes, the one scene you're talking about where they really had this conversation, which was awesome. Yeah. And actually in that scene, it was a diner scene. It actually distracted me every time it showed him because mm. he looked, wow. he looked weird. So, I mean, there again, it's, it's a hang up of mine and the movie was awesome, but I just kind of feel like how bad would the movie have been if they would have just let that be. But I
1: well, Chris, well, Chris, I wonder, do you think if, uh, if it had not been an actor as well known or as visible right now as Joseph Gordon-Levitt, would it have been a problem? Uh, the fact that we we just saw him in a big blockbuster a few months ago, and of course he's been in several films the last few years. Sure. If, that was, if it was an unknown actor made up to look like Bruce Willis, do you think it would have been as uh, much of a problem?
2: Probably not. Probably yeah. not.
1: I think it's the visibility of the guy. I think you're constantly looking to see... How does he look different than the way we know he normally looks?
2: And yeah, that, that distracted me because I kept, you know, the whole time in the movie, I was like, okay, right. is, this, is this computer generated or is this makeup? Is it computer generated? And actually, yeah. I thought there was no way that it would be makeup.
0: <laughs> yeah. So
2: that just, that just, I mean, they should win an Oscar for <laughs> makeup and effects if it was truly all makeup because yeah. it was amazing to me.
1: Yeah, very cool. Even though
2: I didn't like it. I thought it was amazing <laughs> so, all right
1: well uh as i mentioned in the setup you and i both are big fans of ryan johnson in general we right. both really like brick we right. actually saw that one together and i think both really enjoyed it and we showed the the brothers bloom at a foot candle screening and generally like that film as well so how does this stack up is he on a roll here or is he uh, uh how's he doing compared to his previous efforts
2: well and that's 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 my uh other kind of nitpick with the film overall. I liked it. I said there were two things and that's that's kind of my nitpick. He's definitely on a roll. He is a good director. He's done different different genres of movies. You know, he did kind of the noir movie with his first one. Then he did kind of a caper movie with the second one. And this one was science fiction. Definitely on a roll. Interesting director. Like the choices that he's made. However, the one aspect that for me, I found missing in this movie was a little bit of a little bit of humor not quite it was very this movie was very heavy for oh, me. yeah sure and brick was not heavy because it was kind of like yeah it was a crime thing in a high school crime thriller in a high school but it was always kind of treated with a little bit of levity even though somebody went yeah. missing and you know and it was talking about drugs but it was it was always kind of light in a strange way. Brothers Well, Bloom, it was almost,
1: you were having fun with it because it was taking this noir setting that you're not used to seeing portrayed by teenage high school students. That in itself as a premise kept it a little bit more light and entertaining than a typical noir movie would be.
2: Right. And, you know, Brothers Bloom, that was really light. You know, had some dark, you know, s- some sad elements or whatever. But overall, you know, it was a lot of fun. You know, there was a lot sure. of fun there. And this movie, Jeff Daniels, his character provides a little bit of levity maybe, Mm -hmm. but I was just, I wasn't expecting the entire movie to be so heavy. So that was one thing that I was, I guess not disappointed, I guess is not really the right word, but I was, I was surprised at how heavy and kind of moralistic and, you know, dark this movie
1: was. Yeah, it definitely was a dark movie. And actually I, I was surprised too. It was a lot more violent yeah. than I probably expected it to be um not to say I'm opposed to violent movies I mean if, if violent violence plays a part if it's necessary in the film I, I get it uh this one definitely had some very extreme uh violent parts one one scene in particular I'm thinking towards the end uh with there again not to get into spoiler territory but involves the the young boy character which I want to talk about here in a moment um uh, playing uh Sid so right. I guess we can we can speak about him in a minute sure. um some very, very tough, violent scenes. And of course, the ending was also very dark and somewhat violent as well. So um, yeah, that was a little surprising to me as well. Uh, overall, I, I really enjoyed the film. I can't say that I enjoyed it more than The Brothers Bloom. Uh, that's probably still my favorite. I know Brick is probably the most technically proficient film he's done, but I just something about The Brothers Bloom really, really worked for me. This one is still a very good film. It's one of the better films I've seen in a while, but still didn't quite hit the mark of maybe his previous two films for me.
2: Yeah. And I think, I I feel, I think you and I are on the same page with it. I do want to see it again now that I kind of know how things play out. I do kind of want to watch it again. So that, that speaks to how well I like the movie, I guess.
1: Right, right. Sure. Now real quick, before we break and and go on to our next uh, review, uh, The young boy, I always like to ask questions about young actors just because I think young acting is just such a, it's an interesting situation when reviewing a film because sometimes when you have a a character that is to be played by a young child and so much weight can be carried on that young actor, but actors in general, you know, at that age are kind of hit or miss. How did you feel? His name's Pierce Gagnon playing the the part of Sid. How do you think uh, the character of Sid uh, was played out on screen? Um, I, I th- didn't make, didn't make much of an impression on you. Or...
2: No, I thought I, for what he needed to do, I thought he, I thought he was okay. I thought he was okay. Yeah. Um, there were a couple scenes
1: where I was really actually kind of impressed with his, uh, his, his just his poise on screen and just the intensity he brought to the role as, even at that young age. Um, I thought it was
2: pretty impressive in a few scenes,
1: actually kind of frightening in some scenes. So oh, there, good... he.
2: Definitely did some frightening things for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so Yes. Uh, the last thing I was going to mention, uh, just kind of as a throwaway role, but Paul Dano is actually in the film, which I did not expect. Uh, Paul Dano, uh, he's, a, he's an actor that sometimes really, really annoys me. And then other <laughs> times he can, he can pull off a pretty good part. Uh, he was in there will be blood a couple years ago. Uh, he was in a recent film, Ruby stop sparks, which I haven't seen, uh, he played a very, very small role, actually a lot more of a slight role than I would have expected him to do. Um, but I actually thought for once, I thought he played uh, the part really well. I actually kind of enjoyed his character, this frantic um, friend of, uh, of Joe, the main character.
2: I um, thought he did a good job. So yeah.
1: It was one of those slight roles where he's only in the film for a short amount of time, but uh, I thought he actually did a pretty good job there okay so looper that's the third film by ryan johnson sounds like we're both positive on it but we both agree there's a few things that that didn't work for us as well and may not be as strong a film as his two previous efforts um brick and the Bro- brothers bloom which i wholeheartedly recommend if you have not seen either of those two films you definitely need to go check them out brick i would say is the one you definitely should check out just because of the creativity behind that film uh the brothers bloom is just for me a good fun film uh there's nothing too earth shattering about it. It's just uh, very well made and a lot of a uh, lot of fun to watch. So, but Looper uh, should probably be in cinema still. I think it's doing fairly well in the box office. Um, it's certainly going to be his biggest hit out of his three films so far. And if nothing else, it does guarantee that he'll be making movies again for a while. So that's always good to see. Definitely. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about our second film, which is Beast of the Southern Wild. Stay tuned. Main Cellar City Club, Hickory's premier music venue, is the place to go for music events, wedding dinners or receptions, company retreats, reunions, and more. Contact Main Cellar at 828-345-6246 or find us on Facebook and Twitter for all your entertainment updates.
2: Welcome back. We're going to now talk about... Ben Zeitlin's new movie, Beasts of the Southern Wild. The whole universe depends on everything fitting together just right. Have one piece bust, even the smallest piece, the entire universe would get busted.
0: Is an aurochs, a fierce creature. The stars coming. The stars coming. Y'all better learn how to survive. I'm your daddy, and it's just my job to take care of you. okay?
2: Beasts of the Southern Wild, a movie that stars. I'm not even gonna to try to say her name, Alan. Do you wanna to try to say her name?
1: <laughs> oh boy. I tried the other night and it's it's a tough one. So I think uh,
2: let's just call her Miss Wallace. How about that? I
1: think Miss Wallace will work for me, yes. <laughs> okay. Miss Miss Q Wallace. Miss Q
2: Wallace, yeah. The first name starts with a Q. That should let you know how complicated it is. Anyways. Stars Miss Q Wallace as Hush Puppy. And essentially this little girl is in Louisiana. And she has some events, some natural strange events that cause her village town called the Bathtub to flood. And this causes a series of events to start happening where she is concerned about her father who is with her but um, has kind of a strained relationship with her. And then also causes her to want to search out her mother. Now, Alan, this is the second movie we're talking about. You mentioned in the first movie we talked about, Looper, you mentioned the little kid that played the role of Sid in that movie and your thoughts on Sid. If Q Wallace playing Hush Puppy had to go up against Sid, how do you think they would win? If it was an Oscar race, just between the two of them and their performances and how they helped the movies, which, which kid would you give the Oscar to? All
1: right, you're saying in an Oscar acting battle, not an actual, like, fight battle. Cause I'm right. sorry, Sid with his incredible powers would probably win. Um, but if you're talking about acting, uh, I've got to give it Miss Q Wallace. Um, uh, this is a film that relies on you buying her character hundred percent to make the film work. And honestly, if you didn't have a good actress in that role as young hush puppy, I, you know, there's just not much of a film there. Gotcha. Um, so I do think she pulls it off. I think she's a really, really talented actress, Uh, The question for me, and anytime I see a performance like this, is how much of it was the director really coaxing a good performance out and how much of it was her just natural acting ability. Honestly, we won't know until we see her in some other films. But as it stands right now in this first film, I think she she knocked it out of the park. She was a real shining star in this film and a very impressive uh, actress to watch.
2: I, I would agree. What would there what overall, what did you think of the, the film? What was your take on Beasts of the Southern Wild? Uh, uh
1: on the film itself, I was it was a very mixed bag for me. Ah, um, okay. I thought she was incredibly talented in the film. And I, I thought the gritty realism of the film really worked as well. I think the camera was very unflinching. I think there were some things showing you true uh grime and dirt and desperation and, and poverty that were very tough to watch. And there was nothing glossy about it. There was nothing Hollywood about it. It was very, very, uh, it was a very tough film to watch only because it was so realistic in its depiction. Okay. However, there were some elements to the storyline, elements to the fantastical nature of the film that didn't work as well for me. Um, so it's kind of a mixed bag. I can't say that I love this film, but I also can't say that it was in any way a disappointment. It just, it was a very mixed bag acting and the, uh, the visual nature of the film were great. The story and the fantastical nature of her imagination did not play out as well for me. What about you?
2: Well, I, I'm following on similar lines. Uh, the Hush Puppy, I thought, did a really good job. I liked her performance. And actually, her father, who I believe was also kind of a first-time actor, um, I, I really liked him. I thought he did a good job of being this strained relationship where, you know, he was, he was an alcoholic and mm-hmm. not the best father, but yet the, you nope. could tell there was some care there and that he really sure. did care about Hush Puppy, but where things and the overall story, this one of kind of a new Orleans type thing that was flooding and these people having to deal with the situation. I liked that aspect of it because it made me feel like this was kind of like a, it wasn't a documentary, but it made me feel like I was in, a New Orleans type area or a flood zone type area, and it made me kind of appreciate sure. what it would take to survive. Sure. But I think what you may be alluding to, the fantastical elements, which we haven't really talked about, let's kind of discuss that, was basically they say that there's a teacher that's talking to Hush Puppy in her class in the very beginning, and she says that they're these giant beasts, which are called aurochs, and that they live in these polar ice caps and that they back in the i guess the ice ages or whatever or in ancient times they would go around and hunt children and kind of gobble them up and all this kind of stuff and Hush Puppy has this vision that these ice caps are melting and that these beasts are now released and that's kind of, and you see them kind of trudging towards you assume Hush Puppy's location was that some of the fantastical stuff that didn't really pay off Yeah for
1: you? well it, yes it, it it didn't work for me i think either because it was almost too slight uh, an impact on the film, where if that was truly the direction they wanted to go with these fantastical beasts making their way to Hush Puppy and the big confrontation there, it seemed to play out more as an afterthought uh, towards the end of the film as opposed to being a real key driver in the film. I guess it's more a matter of if you're going to go fantastical with those elements, you need to go a little further. Mm mm-hmm. uh, But the way they played it, it was so slight that after a while I even forgot that these beasts were out there <laughs> until the very end. They showed up. I'm like, oh, yeah. OK, there's the beast that we've seen a couple of times so far um, that that it was almost like a, they either need to go further with it or not go at all. That was my issue with the that element of the film. It was a creative element. I like the visuals. They looked impressive. Uh, but it just didn't make as much of an impact in the film as I thought it should have.
2: I'm I'm with you. I thought that the, I liked the story, but then the part of it that was the fantastical element—it seemed kind of as a, a second thought. Like, oh yeah, let's just kind of throw this in there to kind of have a little bit of a thread and try to weave things together a little bit. But it still seemed too much of an afterthought to me. And I kind of yeah. I kept thinking of a director like Terry Gilliam, and what he would have done with a similar story, but how he would have woven in the fantastical elements better and provided a kind of a better overall picture story. But, um,
1: well, it's interesting you mentioned Terry Gilliam because actually, uh, the film, the Fisher King, uh, I'm sure you've seen it. I don't know how much you remember it. Robin Williams character keeps having these visions of this flaming, uh, a giant warrior on a, on a horse. It was like a devil horse, almost like constantly chasing him down. And it really affected Robin Williams's character. It really just petrified him. And occasionally we'd see those flashes of that character, of that, of that warrior coming after him. I kind of got the same sense as what they were trying to do here, where you see these beasts and they were meant to be daunting and just fearful. But yet we, I never really saw them affect hush puppy. She never seemed to get worried about them. It's just, she would imagine them sometimes but then never really seemed to affect her that much as much as the actual weather itself did so it was one of those things i i could have very easily have seen it being an afterthought that they just cut into the film later to give it something else to elevate the film a little bit more but i just didn't think they went far enough with it
2: uh, how, how did you feel about the cinematography of the movie and the types of shots they used
1: I, I liked it. Uh, I'm generally not a big fan of the, the handheld shaky cam. Try to make it look like a documentary when it's not. Um, it doesn't always work for me very well. But I did think – I thought the cinematography was good here mainly because I, I, I just think the realism that they portrayed with the shots, uh, I definitely felt like it was more – I definitely felt like I was there probably more than I would have any other film shot in a different way. What about you?
2: I'm I'm actually <laughs> – I'm the complete opposite. The uh oh, yeah. s- the kind of shaky cam with this really annoyed me because it instead of making it more realistic to me, it yeah. it just it just it just became annoying. And mm-hmm. sometimes there was use of it when maybe there was running or there were like some mm-hmm. quote-unquote kind of like party scenes or something like that. And that to me kind of made sense. Mm-hmm. But other times it was just like I couldn't really figure out why they were being so shaky. And it wasn't just the shaky cam stuff that annoyed me. There was also some stylistic choices of use of focus Mm -hmm. and it was effective, but then I thought it was just overdone. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it was almost like kind of lazy filmmaking, like, well, we want this to be kind of lyrical, impressive looking and kind of, Abstract. So we're just going to kind of leave it out of focus. You know, just it so almost of
1: trying almost trying to be over stylistic with the camera when it didn't really need to be.
2: Right. Right. Yeah, I, I could see that.
1: I mean, I, I uh, I'll admit the, the shaky cam. I mean, you and I were sitting near the front of the theater, and I actually had to move to the back because it was a little much uh, close up front on the shakiness. Um, but overall, I, I, I guess the cinematography, as far as shot selection and framing of shots, worked for me. Yeah, the focus may have been a little uh, overdone in places, and the shaky cam was a little overdone in places. But uh, the colors, the uh, shot composition in general, especially the first opening five minutes of this film, I thought were just beautiful to watch. It's basically a celebration there in that area, the bathtub Mm -hmm. that they're having. Uh, There was a lot of sparklers and fireworks and drinking and dancing and it was just it was a very very magical several minute footage I thought that was together at the beginning um I think stylistically that part worked the rest of it may have been a little hit or miss but uh I was generally pretty happy with the cinematography
2: would you be interested to do what Mr. Zeitlin or see what Mr. Zeitlin would do next or are you kind of like eh.
1: uh you know I, I guess I would be interested to see um Nothing, the film didn't just wow me to the point where I am I, ready to see this director's next effort. Um, but I thought it was interesting enough. I am curious. I'm more curious to see what Miss Q. Wallace does next ah. than I am what the director does next.
2: Okay.
1: Because there again, if you took her out of this film and replaced her with a very uh, subpar actress, the film just doesn't work at all. I don't think.
2: Do you think, um, do you think you'd also be distracted if she was replaced with somebody that you you recognized oh
1: absolutely oh absolutely if it was a well-known actor a young actor uh it just would not work at all i think the fact that we didn't know this character we didn't know this actress uh she played with such a both an innocence and a toughness at the same time uh she's constantly trying to prove to her father that she can be tough and she can take care of situations but yet she's also a little girl that's very scared and uh unsure about what's going on and missing her mother. So she had to play both sides. I thought she did it great. I think if it had been some known child actress, it just wouldn't have worked. And then if it had been anybody lesser, the film as a whole just wouldn't work. So I'm more interested in seeing what she does next than I am the the uh, director. But that's not to say, I mean, you know, he's he's obviously got a good style to his, his shots. Uh, there were some scenes I thought were really, really well done. Um it's just, there again, the story, I just, I was a little let down with the storyline more than anything, the plot and the story. Uh, the diversion the, the kind of two-thirds of the way through the film where she goes to find her mother and kind of goes into a strange territory with uh, finding a floating uh, pleasure palace, I guess is yeah, the best way yeah. I can describe it, kind of out there in the bayou. And uh, that that was, I know what the director was trying to do stylistically. It didn't quite work for me. Um and there again that was more the the plot and storyline just the writing in general but all the way through i mean i could still watch this young actress act and find it to be an enjoyable experience
2: good yeah I've, i'm i actually i liked the scene you were describing there were, i liked the kind of the party scene that you're talking about in the beginning and then i i kind of liked the the journey to go find her mother um oh really yeah some of that i really I really appreciate it. So.
1: Well, there again, I understood what they were trying to do, but it just didn't work for me. I almost think it didn't go there. Again, it was almost like the fantastical elements It either didn't go far enough or, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things if you're going to commit to making this very kind of strange scene of the place they go to, then really go all out with it. Otherwise don't, don't hold back and don't try to make it so slight, which I thought in the end it was. Um, okay. and, the, and the fact of the matter is for me, that scene although they were going for an emotional impact of her possibly meeting her mother. And that's something up for interpretation. Um, it didn't seem to affect her when she left mm-hmm. the young girl. Gotcha. It didn't seem to have any impact on her return back to the village and to her father. And for me, if that really was meant to be this pivotal scene for her, for her storyline, it should have had more weight on her afterwards. And I just didn't feel like it did.
2: Okay. Well, those are our takes on Beasts of the Southern Wild, which is probably out of theaters, but you'll probably be able to catch it on DVD pretty soon and maybe streaming a couple of places and maybe mentioned around Oscar time, maybe for Miss Q Wallace. Um, I think there's
1: a good chance of that, personally. I'd be, I'd be actually kind of surprised at this point. I know we're only two-thirds of the way through the year, but uh, and Oscar season is still like coming up, sure. all the big Oscar films. But I'd be surprised if her name wasn't batted around on that Best Actress uh, list
2: yeah i I kind of agree
1: so yeah so that was uh, a piece of the southern wild now chris now's a part of the show where we like to give a recommendation of a film that we think our listeners might want to check out or might enjoy and uh, these are normally kind of very Uh let me toss it over to you first chris for your pick um i'm curious does it have anything to tie into the two films that we just talked about
2: uh-oh. I wonder if we're going to have the same recommendation. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Go ahead. I'm curious it, to see where you it, go
2: with it. It it does uh, have something to do with uh, Beast of the Southern Wild. Okay. And it's um, a feature that Ben Zeitlin, the same director, did in 2008. And uh, it's free. You can stream it off YouTube. And it is called Glory at Sea. And it's 25 minutes long. And in a way, I don't know whether you would say it was a prequel to *Beast of the Southern Wild or maybe it takes place while Beasts of the Southern Wild is going on. It's kind of hard to say, but it uses a lot of similar themes. Um, okay. basi- basically it is um, – it talks about people being involved in a flood mm-hmm. and there are people underwater and there's kind of curious as to what's going on and then somebody is ejected from this underwater kind of like prison and he meets up with all these other people, and then they go on this journey to get back to those people underwater by building this huge raft boat-type device. Huh. So it's it's very interesting. Um, what I like about it was the style of shots and the cinematography are very beautiful. And it was done in 2008, probably on a smaller budget, but yet they don't employ the shaky cam or they're just – it seems like it's very high-end even though it was done back in 2008. And it's, I wish some of that stylistic – the stylistic choices he used for Glorious Sea, I wish those would have carried over into Beasts of the Southern Wild. But um, I highly recommend Glorious Sea. And it's free. You can find it on YouTube and I think also on Vimeo. Check it out. Huh,
1: uh, okay, that's that's interesting. No, that wasn't at all the one I was going to, uh, okay. to mention. My pick is had nothing to do really with either of the two films we discussed. Although I I'm sure if I thought about it long enough I could try to find some sort of connection, but uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not coming up with anything yet. Um the film is a documentary called Man on Wire. Uh you may recall if you've been a long-time listener, which you know, I know there's thousands of you out there that have been listening since the very beginning. For sure. To those of you that have re- been uh, archiving and diligently listening to all of our past episodes will know that uh, probably last year we talked about the the uh, documentary Project M, which was about the chimpanzee project trying to uh, indoctrinate a, a young chimpanzee into a human society uh, with very <laughs> mixed results. Yeah. Uh, so that documentary filmmaker... James Marsh, I had actually made a film called Man on Wire back in 2008. And this, I believe, was nominated for Best Documentary. Chris, did it win? Do you know?
2: Oh, man,
1: I think it did. Yeah, I think it might have, too. I don't have that pulled up. But uh, this is a documentary about a tightrope walker, Philippe Petit, who uh, actually back in 1974 did a uh, high wire tightrope walk between the tops of the two Twin Towers. In New York City. Um, This was made in 2008, and of course there was not a lot of footage of the actual High Wire Act that took place in 74. There were photographs, but of course video uh, was not really that prevalent back in 74, so you had to rely on a lot of photographs. And also in this situation, this documentary, a lot of reenactments of kind of behind-the-scenes actions uh, that were done very stylistically. Uh, they were very clear to meant to be reenactments. Normally I have problem with reenactments in documentaries, but I understand the need for it in this situation. There just wasn't the live video footage to use. And the reenactments they did were very much silhouetted characters and things happening behind the scenes that were not as critical to the overall uh story of the of the film. But I think what probably got me the most on this is yeah, there was such a wealth of archive footage of photographs and uh, even some home movies of Philippe practicing back. Uh, I guess he's in, from France, and uh, back when he was actually rehearsing and practicing the act. And then their their recollection, the whole crew's recollection on having to go in and stage this elaborate stunt, obviously doing it without permission. They had to get to the top of the two twin towers string up the rope between the two towers and actually hold the high wire act early in the morning one day. Uh, just the coordination involved the misfires that they went through trying to get this thing started, uh, and it not going as well or smoothly as it should have in some places, but in the end, you know, successful with the act and, and just the, the joy that was, uh, they, they enjoyed from actually pulling this off was really, really infectious. Um, The main character himself, Philippe Pete, is interviewed quite extensively throughout the documentary. And he's just as enthusiastic now, 2008, uh, thinking back to that event 30 years ago, uh, enthusiastic and just so energetic and so much fun to listen to and watch. Um, Just made for a really, really fun documentary to watch. Um, I did not expect to enjoy this, but I'd heard so many good things about it finally got around to seeing it and really really uh it really worked for me. Chris, I know you've seen this. What did what did you what do you think of it?
2: I I really enjoyed uh Man on Wire when I saw it and you're right it did win the Oscar in uh, 2008 for best okay, documentary. Good. Um, good. I I really liked it and like you I don't really like reenactments in a documentary, but because of like you'd explained they didn't have the footage but they wanted to tell the story you kind of forgave it. And the way in which they did it too, I felt like it wasn't trying to manipulate your emotions either. It was Mm -hmm. just kind of, it was helping you to understand what they were talking about. And so therefore to me, it really, it was needed and it made for a good documentary and it was perfect. And I loved it. And that's kind of in contrast to like you were saying, project Nim, which a lot of the stuff really annoyed me when they did reenactments because they had so much footage and I didn't think they needed to do these reenactments. And the only reason they were doing it was to try and to, make you pull your heartstrings, strings, basically. So yeah, yeah, Man on Wire, yeah. loved it. Thought it was excellent.
1: Yeah, I didn't think this film was manipulative at all, which, I mean, you very easily could have made this manipulative trying to get it to be more emotional than it needed to be. Uh I thought I thought the images worked for themselves. You know, I think the still images we saw of the actual High Wire act and of the characters, uh you know, of the performer afterwards, I thought did, did everything it was needed to do on its own. Um, you didn't need to stage a lot of extra things or uh, do any kind of reenactment just for emotional impact. So that was good. Um, the one thing I thought was interesting with this film, Chris, I'm curious about your thoughts on it. The fact that it is the Twin Towers, obviously, the World Trade Center, 1974, this is, you know, many, many years before 9 11.
2: Right.
1: Uh, but the film was made, obviously, after 9 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that they never mention 9 11. At all, I don't think at all in the film. There was no recap at the end to talk about how Philip uh, Philippe reacted when the the Twin Towers fell. You know, some people may question that and say, why make a documentary that was so integral with the Twin Towers, not mention nine eleven. Me personally, I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was great. They let the building stand on their own without having to try to tie it to the uh, the disaster we had and such the uh, the horrible event. They let these towers be a a monument of joy back in 1974. How would you feel about that?
2: I thought it was excellent. And I I, the fact that this movie was made, like you're saying, in 2008, and it was after the disaster of uh, 9-11 had happened, but they just let it kind of stand on its own. And they did when they would talk about the construction of the towers and what a feat of architecture it was. You know, they – They talked about it and they obviously paid tribute to that, but they never, at the end of the film, they didn't say, you know, they didn't do any fade to black and text over the screen or anything. And I really admired the fact that they just kind of let it speak on its own. And I, I really appreciated that. And I wish more films would do that instead of hitting you over the head with some message, they just kind of lay the information out there and let you kind of draw your own conclusions. And, you know, it's kind of the thing where if somebody saw this documentary, Ten years from now, who, you know, and they're maybe they're like a four or five year old now, and they see this documentary. They may be like, "Oh, cool! I want to go see those towers in New York City." You know, like yeah, they wouldn't right. know that they're not there. You know, and that's I think that's kind of powerful.
1: Well, and you gotta imagine whether it's producers or people or, or friends of the filmmakers. Probably the filmmaker got a lot of pressure to try to tie in 9-11 somehow. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, how do you not, when you're making a documentary that's so heavily dependent on the Twin Towers as the location, the fact that they resisted that temptation, fought it, and uh, let it stand on its own without even alluding, I don't think, to 9-11. I couldn't recall any mention of it at all. Uh, to me, it was just, just brilliant. I think that was exactly the way it needed to be. So, great documentary. If you're into documentaries at all, Man on Wire is on Netflix. It's available to watch. Highly, highly encourage you to go check that out. So, Chris, that's our picks for the month. And uh, we reviewed our two films for the month. Looper, we were both enthusiastic about, although we had some a few reservations about it. Overall, we were both uh, very very positive on that film. Beast of the Southern Wild, we enjoyed, it sounds like many aspects of the film and it definitely had a lot going for it, but there were some misgivings and things that we felt like didn't work as well with the film. So we can't be as enthusiastic as the, with that one possibly as maybe we were a looper, but it's still both films. I would say, I hope you agree, would be ones that people ought to go check out. There's definitely something to each of the films worth seeing. Uh, Agre- and uh, and then we have our two recommendations, Man on Wire. And
2: what was yours again, Chris? It called Glory at Sea.
1: Glory at Sea, both available online. You don't have to go hunt down a blockbuster video or order them on DVD. They're ready to go right now online, both of them, and we highly recommend both both films as uh, something to check out. And they're both short. Chris's is only 25 minutes. Mine is only 90 minutes. Easy one that you can squeeze in one night and uh, check out. So with that, I guess we're going to wrap up today's show, Chris. Uh, special thanks to our sponsor, Main Cellar City Club, for helping support The Mesh in general. We encourage you to take a listen to any of the uh, other Mesh shows out there that you may want to check out. Uh, we've got a whole variety of shows. You can see them all at TheMesh.tv. And if you've got some ideas, questions, uh, suggestions, or even your own review of the films we talked about, please send them our way. We'd love to hear from you. You can send them to uh, the email address, info at TheMesh.tv. That's I-N-F-O at the Mesh, T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV. And we'd love to hear from you. I'd uh, love to hear some ideas or suggestions from films that maybe we need to check out and we'd love to give a review to as one of our picks in the uh, coming months. So with that, I guess we're going to wrap it up. Chris, take care. Uh, this was a good experiment running this over Skype. It sounds like overall it ran pretty good. So. Although I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to minimize this as much as humanly possible going forward, but uh, at least the technology is there to make it possible. So Chris, take care. We'll see you soon.
2: Okay, see you at the movies. Save me some
1: popcorn. Take care, everyone. We'll see you later.
0: Check us out online at TheMesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.
2: Hey. Hey, you. You still listening? Okay, good. Well, we're going to do some Looper spoilers here. Uh, Looper spoilers. That's right. This is the spoiler stuff. Alan, how did you feel about the ending, and what are some spoilers you want to lay on some people
1: (sighs) OK, here's the deal. So the ending, we can go ahead and spoil a whole bunch of it. If you if you, you know, haven't seen the movie and you know don't listen, if you have seen it, great. If you haven't seen it and don't care and don't plan to see it, then keep on listening. That's fine. <laughs> so basically at the end, the whole deal is we find that Bruce Willis is now he actually kind of sent himself back to the past in a way. Um, we think at the beginning of the film that he got sent back to get bumped off and technically he kind of did. But he arranged it to where he was a little more in control when he got back to the past.
2: Well, basically what happened was the whole idea is, you know, to close the loop at some point in the distant future, which, you know, you sign a contract saying, yes, I'm aware that at some point in the future, I'm going to get killed and I'm, or I'm going to. I, you
1: have to kill yourself. Well- your young self is going to kill your old self.
2: Right. Right. And you have to, and you have to be okay with that and you have to be willing to do it, but what you get into
1: 30 years out. So basically once you have off your older self, you know, you've got 30 years
2: and you've got a lot of money and you are willing to do this and you do it. And I think what happened was Bruce Willis, I guess he, he, they didn't, he sent himself back, but yet he. Kind of well, made it so that he, he was, knew he was going to kind of be able because he loosened his hands, right? Or he yeah. moved the gold well, around found, the front. What
1: we found out is that this little kid that I mentioned, Sid, in the review, right. in the present day – well, I say present day, but the near future. Right. Uh, in the future turns out to be this really corrupt individual who starts killing all of the people who were involved in the Looper program. Um,
2: and probably other people as well, just in general, not a good person. (laughs) We don't really know much more about him
1: other than he's knocking off loopers out of sequence, not as according to the plan. Right. Uh, for whatever reason, he is killing people who are involved in the looper program quicker than they were supposed to be killed. Right. Okay. So Bruce Willis is about to be killed by sent back to the past, but he's able to break himself free. He still climbs in the time machine and goes back because his wife has been killed. In the future, right, by these these people and by Sid and his uh, henchmen, right. So he goes back to the past, but he goes back without the bag on his head, and with his hands already unshackled. Because right. Loopers are supposed to know that you know when you see somebody pop up in front of you at this designated spot with the hood over their head and their their hands are a- handcuffed, you go ahead and shoot them. Right. The fact that he was able to go back and be without the hood on his head and with his hands free, kind of held up. That threw off his older self. His, I mean, I'm sorry, his younger self. Right. His younger self, Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, sees him and is like, whoa, wait a minute. This, something's not right about this. Right. That this guy doesn't have a hood on and his hands are up. And immediately the old Joe looks up and sees the young Joe. And right away, old Joe's doing this because he thinks this is maybe his way to keep himself from getting killed. Right. If he kind of throws young Joe off his game a little bit. Um, but anyway, OK, so we get all that. So old Joe is now bouncing around in present day with young Joe. Old Joe's whole whole point is he wants to kill Sid. Right. The young kid Sid to keep him from ever going and growing up and becoming this murderous person killing these loopers.
2: Right.
1: Future loopers. Right. So that's all good and well I get that. But here's the problem. So at the end we have this climactic scene where Bruce Willis's old Joe is about to shoot the kid Sid. Right. You yeah. know, uh and young Joe doesn't want him to kill Sid because he just doesn't think that's right. So young Joe in a, in a fit of desperation, trying to keep old Joe from killing Sid turns a gun on himself and shoots himself.
2: Right.
1: Killing himself, which means technically old Joe disappears because old Joe is no longer there. Correct. Here's my beef though, Chris.
2: Oh, come on. That was excellent. How can you have a beef with that? No, it was great. It was
1: great. <laughs> but I want you that was to think a good about recap. It all right. But I want to think about it for a second. So now Sid still grows up. Right. Okay. Sid still grows up. The looper program is still around in the future. All right. Right. Just because young Joe in the past kills himself, the loop hasn't been closed.
2: Well, his loop Sid. never, his loop never exists now because he well, shot himself. or does
1: it? Because we've already seen that for old Joe, for old Joe to become old Joe, he has to have gone through the Looper program. Okay, I understand that. And basically, for young it, Joe to kill himself, young Joe only kills himself because old Joe existed. Right. So Sid's still going to grow up. Still, Sid's still going to grow up and be a, a murderous asshole. No, it, no okay? he's not.
2: No, he's not. No, he's not. Why not? Why not? He's not going to grow up because basically what happened is. Oh, he's going to grow up, Chris. Chris. He's going to grow <laughs> up, but he's not going to grow up and be a bad guy because the whole reason he grew up and be a bad guy, grew up to be a bad guy was his jaw got messed up, which still happens, I think. Yes, and it does. Does it happen or does it not happen? I can't it
1: remember. It does happen. Okay, so shot. his
2: jaw gets messed up. But the thing, yeah. that, the thing that doesn't happen is that he gets to be raised by his mom. And that was the whole thing that if Bruce Willis had done what he was going to, I'm sorry, if old Joe, cause that's a good way to do it. If old yeah. Joe had done what he was going to do, if if old Joe had been allowed to do what he was going to do, then the loop would have, it would have, he would have become the rainmaker. Sid so would have become the rainmaker. But, but because young Joe decided to commit suicide, that canceled out Joe's Future existence, it just it it was gone. So then the Rainmaker will never be. The kid will still have powers. He'll still grow up with his mom. He's probably gonna have some anger issues anyway. But it's gonna be okay. Now, yes, as what as far as what happens to the whole Looper program and the mafia and all that kind of stuff, I have no idea. But uh, Mm -hmm. I don't believe that the Rainmaker. I believe that, and that's why I say that's the only way the movie could have ended. Because I was thinking the whole movie like, okay, if Bruce Willis wins then that doesn't make sense because how can he, he can't kill his younger self because then he'd cease to exist. Like I didn't know. And how could he change the future and still have things balance out? Right. Like, and so then I was like, well, maybe young Joe will do something. I'm like, well, that well, doesn't work but, either. So it was like the perfect solution because they uh, wipe each other out and neither one of them exists anymore.
1: But so. okay. But Chris, if you're old Joe coming back to the past, right. And your whole motivation is to kill the little kid Sid. Because you don't want Sid to grow up and be the Rainmaker. Right. Because the Rainmaker kills your wife. Right. But old Joe, if old Joe kills Sid, nothing changes for old Joe. Old Joe's still stuck in the past. Old Joe will never see his wife again.
2: I guess he now, thinks you, he's going to somehow figure out time travel. Yeah, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's part of the problem, too, is he's so hellbent on killing Sid to see his wife again, but he'll never see his wife again regardless.
2: You wouldn't, you wouldn't think so. No, but I guess maybe he's worried that he's worried that, um, Sid will somehow still grow up and be a terrorist and maybe she won't die in the same way. Like, yeah, maybe he's trying
1: to, maybe he's trying to save her, but he realizes he'll never actually see her again himself. Right. Because he's stuck in the past now and there's no time travel in the past. There's only time travel in the future to transport people to the past.
2: Right. Yeah, that's, that's true. Why does, yeah, once he goes back, he's going back to save his wife, but just the mere fact of him going back, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Time travel. You yeah, it. it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of messy. Well, I mean, it is a little messy. It's a good it's, film. I guess the whole thing is he goes back and if he kills Sid and then he dies, no big deal. But he knows that his young self will still grow old and theoretically still be able to find his love so mm-hmm. so he's trying to he's trying to help out his young self
1: although although if you really want to get even deeper with it the fact that old joe did come back to the past and still lived and went through this whole situation trying to hunt down sid and young joe got involved and the two of them had to chase each other that is automatically changing yo's young joe's future young joe will not go down the same path That old Joe did. You
2: would think because of all
1: all this happening. Right. So he's automatically set up a whole nother loop that is going to go off in a different direction where young Joe may never even meet the wife that old Joe had. True. So anyway. There again. Time travel, my head is hurting. We gotta cut this off.
2: (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough.